welcome to the latest episode of APPA's Public Power Now podcast. I'm Paul Champoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest today is John Hairston, who was named Administrator and CEO of the Bonneville Power Administration at the start of this year. John, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So, John, just to kind of get the conversation started, um, prior to your being named as Administrator and CEO of BPA, you, you held several other positions at BPA. Um, so could you talk about your career at BPA and as well uh, provide an overview of BPA for our listeners who may not be familiar with, with it? All right. Thanks, Paul. Well, you know, I, I came to Bonneville in the um, 1990s. And, and to be honest with you, um, I was just out of college. I had never heard of BPA. And, and I lived in Portland all of my life. The, the, the closest I had come to Bonneville Power was when we would drive up to the gorge and, and um, visit Bonneville Dam. But in terms of a power marketing agency, um, had no idea. Um, but a family friend of ours, a longtime BPA employee by the name of George Bell, um, encouraged me to apply. Uh, I ran into him one day at, at church, and uh, he asked me what I was doing. I told him I had a degree in economics, but at the time I was playing minor league baseball and was looking to do something with my degree during the off seasons. And so he encouraged me to come down to BPA, where they knew, uh, where he knew that they were hiring. Um, industry economist to um, work the rate cases. So um, I came on down, uh, met some folks that he put me in contact with. And I, and I got to tell you, it didn't take long for me to realize that um, this was just a place to be if I wanted to make a difference and how it really touched and concerned everything in the, in the Northwest um, in respect to electricity and keeping lights on. And for me, I mean, that's, you know, the work that we do here at BPA, you know, I, I look at it, it really, um, you know, improves the quality of life of people in the Northwest. Um, you know, and as a public servant, um, you know, we're giving ourselves to something greater. And and I and I've always have taken tremendous pride in that. And and that's one of the reasons why I've made this place my you know the the kind of foundation of my career. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to hold numerous positions um, throughout my 30 years at BPA, and I think you know all of those roles have prepared me to uh, lead the agency. Uh, like I said, I began my career as an economist in rates, um, rate forecasting and rate design, to be specific. Um, later, I worked in energy efficiency, uh, was able to go out, and, and that was my first management job, going out and working in our Spokane office, uh, where I had oversight over our uh, Walla Walla, Missoula, Idaho Falls um, offices. Um, and then I moved into power services, uh, where I got to uh, take on a pretty big significant project for us. Um, it was to manage and implement um, the power um, product that we call Slice, which makes up a sizable portion of BPA's um, annual sales. I, I think at the time, it represented about 500 million of our sales. Um, I then, um, you know, uh, was finishing up uh, law school and was thinking about, you know, kind of what, what I wanted to do next in my career. Uh, but I also had, you know, a family. My wife and I had um, four children. And so as I was thinking through that, um, the opportunity to become BPA's chief compliance officer, um, first chief, chief compliance officer, um, you know, became available. And I was in that role for um, a number of years. Um, I think I want to say around eight years. And then I joined the front office as the chief administrative officer, uh, which gave me a really good understanding of the agency's inner workings, all of the things like supply chain, HR, our safety office, um, you know, workplace services, 
Um, all of those roles that really are the internal mechanisms of BPA, I got a, a great understanding of. And, you know, after that, uh, being in the front office for a number of years, I, I then became the chief operating officer in 2019. And, and that was a very exciting time. I got to oversee our, um, you know, work that really led to consideration of new markets and adjustments to what we were seeing in the changing industry landscape. Um, you know, the benefit on having served in all of these roles over the years is that I've learned about all of the aspects of BPA's business. And, and for the listeners, um, you mentioned kind of giving, <clears throat> excuse me, giving a, um, kind of, you know, um, um, preface on BPA. Well, you know, for the listeners who aren't familiar with it, BPA is one of four power marketing administrations under the Department of Energy. And we're headquartered um, here in Portland, Oregon, but we have a, a major uh, control center um, right, right across the river in Vancouver. And we serve um, approximately 300,000 square miles um, of area that includes Oregon, Washington, Idaho, uh, western Montana, and parts of northern California, Utah, Nevada, um, and Wyoming. And we own and and maintain more than 15,000 miles of transmission lines and all of the associated infrastructure that goes along with those lines. So, um, you know, pretty big footprint there. Uh, we also market wholesale power, primarily hydropower produced by 31 federal projects in the Columbia Snake Basin. Uh, we support the development of energy efficiency in the region and mitigate the impact of the um, federal hydro uh, power dams on fish and wildlife. Um, you know, our, so as you can tell, our mission is quite broad, but it really all goes back to you know its core value of um, providing service to the public. And and I, like I said, it's been a place that I've enjoyed being um, a part of for now over thirty years. Well, thanks, John. That's a great overview of your career and, and BPA as well. Um, so, big news this week uh, as we're recording this. Um, which we covered in, in our newsletter, Public Power Current. Um, wanted to talk to you about further about the news that was announced on September 27th, um, that BPA has decided to join California ISO's Western Energy Imbalance Market in March, 2022. Uh, so I had a, a two-part question for you. Um, first, could you talk about um, the review and analysis that BPA conducted over the past three years uh, leading up to this decision? And second, what are the expected benefits to BPA from joining the Western Energy Imbalance Market? Yes. So, um, you know, you're correct. We just announced our decision to join the Energy Imbalance Market, um, in which really for us closed out a three-year effort um, to do our due diligence. And it's, pretty, it's a pretty historic moment for BPA and our customers. Um, I see it as a milestone in market advancement, you know, within the Northwest and, and what we may see in the future um, you know, in terms of how we integrate renewables um, and address some of the resource adequacy challenges we have in the region. Um, you know, specifically to EIM, you know, we started our valuation, I want to say back in July of 2018. And looking back, you know, there were a lot of unanswered questions about whether BPA could or actually should participate. Um, and, you know, it took many months working closely with our customers to work through the technical uh, policy and governance issues. And the final closeout letter we issued earlier this week caps a five-phase process that started with our initial um, exploration. And 
you know, this summer we held um, the rates and tariff cases and issued decisions that will enable, um, that, you know, has enabled us to um, move towards participation. And in the final phase of this effort, we heard, um, you know, just a good deal of support for BPA's decision to join. And, you know, certainly I, I'm confident in, you know, this being the right decision for BPA, um, our customers, as well as the region. And I know that, you know, some of our customers have concerns. They've expressed that to us. And, you know, we, we need to work uh, with them to address that between now and when we actually go live in March of 2022. But I'm committed to working through those issues, and I'm really excited about capturing the benefits of the EIM so that, we, you know, we can really pass them on to our customers. I mean, at the end of the day, that's our ultimate goal is bringing value to our customers. And, and to understand the value of the EIM, I think it's important to understand why BPA is considering joining joining in this market in the first place. The EIM, you know, I, I see it as being a piece of a broader effort um, that we've taken on to, mid- to modernize the grid. Um, through this effort, you know, we're looking at all of the viable options to improve grid reliability, uh, maximize the value of the region's federal power and transmission assets, and, and, and in its essence, maintain BPA's competitive edge um, in this evolving marketplace. So, you know, these new market opportunities like the EIM, you know, we really feel uh, can reduce our costs through greater efficiencies and um, increase our revenues by providing new ways for us to market our surplus power. And, you know, I see it as, you know, these, these organized markets really appear to be um, the future of the electricity industry. Um, I believe participating in this well-established market will advance uh, Bonneville's understanding of emerging markets, as well as prepare us and our customers for, you know, what we see is, is going to be the future. Oh, thanks, John. Um, just switching gears here real quick. Um, talk to you about uh, wildfires and, and mitigation efforts related to that. Um, one of the things that BPA did proactively um, earlier this summer was add a public safety power shutoff procedure to its wildfire mitigation plan. So could you talk about that specific step as well as other um, ongoing wildfire mitigation activities by BPA? Sure, sure. So you're right. We um, released our initial wildfire mitigation plan in June of 2019. Um, That initial plan combined complex asset management and analysis with you know, what we would describe as, you know, state-of-the-art vegetation med- management, um, you know, and, and, and that means, you know, we were taking actions to repair equipment that might ignite a fire or remo- remove trees and brush um, that could actually fuel wildfires. Um, but what we later realized was that, um, you know, there were some conditions when mitigation might not just be enough to prevent the wildfire. So we created our public safety power shutoff procedure um, you know, really timely in a timely fashion, just in time for the 2021 season. Um, and this gives, you know, gives us an option to preemptively um, de-energize um, a line under certain conditions. And, and this was really, in our thinking, a tool of, you know, last resort, because we know it's a real imposition when we have to cut off um, service to customers. So, you know, Thus far, we've only had to um, implement it once back in June, um, you know, because, you know, it was tri- triggered 
you know, by dry conditions combined with quick moving thunderstorms. Um, and, and that was, you know, provided us very little time. Uh, so it was challenging for BPA and, you know, the impacted customers. And shortly after that event, you know, we met with customers to review uh, what went well and what we could approve upon. And we quickly revised some of the notification uh, proceedings or procedures to provide more time uh, for us to interact with the impacted customers leading up to de-energization. Um, you know, what the, the feedback was clear. It's important to really look at public safety, but, you know, the timing and the communications is so paramount to this being an effective program. So we've, we've tightened that up um, by working with our customers. But, you know, as the climate crisis worsens, uh, we could see wildfires continue uh, to increase in frequency and severity. Um, and so we'll, we'll need to make sure our mitigation efforts keep pace to protect the lives and property of people living in wildfire-prone areas and our field crews who respond um, to these potentially devastating fires. So a lot of things that we've got going on there, but at the end of the day, it's about protecting lives. And, and you know, and, and of course, you know, if we can protect property, that's great, but it's about protecting the people who live in these areas and making sure that our service, um, you know, is reliable and that our um, infrastructure is resilient. Great. Um and just um, turning to the topic of uh, generation resources uh, in the Pacific Northwest, um, I'd obviously be remiss not to bring up uh, hydropower. Um, so more specifically, could you talk about the key role that large federal hydro generation plays in meeting energy demands uh, and integrating other renewables in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, in the Pacific Northwest, we, we like to say, you know, hydro flows here and and, you know, hydropower is the region's original source of renewable electricity, first and foremost. And with climate change bearing down on us, um, you know, it's, it's really great to know that we have this significant base of low-cost, carbon-free power. And, you know, it, it's, I feel it's going to be one of the, the primary keys to unlocking our clean energy future. And I think, the, you know, the past six months have reminded us how important the federal hydro system is. I mean, it's helped us keep the lights on during a severe cold spell in February, and it's helped us through some historic heat waves this summer. And, you know, I would say, you know, even go as far as to say during the unprecedented heat in late June, all of our load areas set their all-time high summer peak records. So, um, you know, that's, that's important to note because... Um, you know, as we kind of move forward, there's a huge dependency on the flexibility of the system. Um, also, you know, during that time, we actually had surplus power available in the hydro system. And it's important to note that, you know, 75% of that surplus uh, was provided to our load-serving entities in the Northwest. And I, and I really believe this demonstrates that the system is not only important to BPA's preference customers, but to the entire region. Uh, and, and I would say, you know, moreover, um, you know, to providing carbon-free electricity, hydro is an excellent source of balancing uh, for the intermittent renewables such as wind and solar. The federal hydro system, I think, has been key to ex the expansion of renewable energy in the Northwest. And the entire system is really important to the region's clean energy future. It's going to be 
really a, a significant player in us being able to integrate more renewables and address climate change in the long run. So a wrap-up question I had for you was, if you could talk about you know, your top priorities um, in your role as administrator and CEO of BPA. Okay, yeah. So, you know, been in this role for a year. And in, in part of it is, you know, the uh, I think the experience I've had over the past 30 years leading to uh, leading BPA, as well as the experience I've had over this last year, has led me to really know and understand the, the need to focus on our people. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start with kind of an inward look um, really at our people and culture. And, you know, I, I do, you know, the one thing I've always told folks is that the only thing I can do in my role by myself after the first day is really fail. Uh, you know, BPA is only as good as the people who take care of the hydro system and our 15,000 miles of transmission line. Now, I recently appointed Dan James to the new position of Chief Workforce and Strategy Officer. Um, under his leadership, I expect us to make great strides in the way we help our workforce succeed so that they they can ultimately deliver uh, best value, um, you know, of our assets to our people and our customers of the Northwest. And, you know, this is going to be a particularly critical um, step for us, um, particularly when you look at um, the eventual transition back to the workplace out of this pandemic phase that we're in. And, you know, as part of our focus on people, uh, we remain committed to our goal of becoming the safest utility in North America. Uh, you know, and I find it very encouraging, quite frankly, that we are on track to end this fiscal year with one of the lowest incident frequency rates on record, you know, which means fewer people are getting injured uh, here at work. And I'm also proud of what we've been doing to address you know, the mental health um, and well-being of our workplace. Uh, going through the pandemic, you know, this pandemic, it's not easy for, for anyone, and particularly for those who are working every day, keeping the lights on, and, and feeling the additional pressures of what's happening with our families. So, you know, that's a lesson that we've learned during this pandemic, and, and we're going to, you know, really build that into our culture strategy. You know, and everything that we're doing internally is intended to help us deliver on our mission and carry out, you know, our rich partnerships with public power, um, you know, in the Northwest. Uh, in 2008, we negotiated and signed 20-year contracts with our power customers. Uh, we are now uh, in the process of reshaping and renewing those contracts, which will um, expire in 2028. And our aim is not just to fully subscribe the system. Uh, you know, for the long term, but to do what we can to adjust our products and services to really benefit our customers. And I believe, you know, Bonneville is well positioned to help our customers respond to the growing mandates that we're seeing for clean energy in, in a number of states. And I'm excited about um, supporting the administration's climate change agenda. The Northwest, like I said before, is blessed with thousands of megawatts of carbon-free electricity generated from falling water. And you know, BPA is dedicated to caring uh, for those assets um, that generate and transmit this energy in a reliable, cost-effective manner. So, um, you know, we're going to work hard to support that agenda. You know, climate change studies suggest that the Pacific Northwest could see even more um, rainfall, but this time, um, like, you know, it, it, it's going to be more as rain than snow. Uh, so our, um, you know, region's hydro 
projects will become even more valuable, not just for renewable energy production, but for a public safety from a public safety standpoint when we look at uh, flood risk. So, um, you know, we have to remember um, that the hydro system is being stretched uh, by both power and non-power purposes like um, spill for fish passage. So we have to find a balance. Um, you know, there's competing interests, and while, you know, there's a lot of great things that we can do with this hydro system, we still have to balance it. We need uh, long-term solutions for operational and cost stability uh, while still meeting our obligations for fish and wildlife. And, you know, that really leads me to our next priority, um, and that's, you know, fiscal discipline. Now, BPA just reduced, um, you know, its wholesale rates or power rates for the first time in more than a decade. Um, five or six years ago, you know, if you would have asked, asked me that, you know, I would have said that that's, that's impossible. Um, but in 2018, uh, we released our five-year strategic plan, and under that plan, we committed to reducing costs and increasing revenues uh, to benefit our customers. And that strategy is paying off and, and you know, paying a lot of dividends for us. Uh, but, you know, we have to remain vigilant. We have to uh, continue to manage our budgets and, and, and demonstrate our fiscal responsibility to our customers. Now, in September, uh, we kicked off a refresh of our financial plan. And the purpose of this effort is not to change the strategic direction that we're on, but it's really to ensure that we have the right targets, right metrics, um, policies in place uh, to achieve our long-term financial goals. And a central issue for us is that our primary source of financing uh, for capital investments is debt. And historically, our investments have been nearly 100% debt financed. So, you know, we know, I know that this isn't sustainable. I've communicated that to our customers. And it's not consistent, you know, with what we see out in the industry in terms of utility standard practices. Um, but, you know, it's a difficult issue to tackle. And, you know, there's many opinions and ideas on how, you know, we um, should maintain prudent debt levels while achieving our other priorities, um, like maintaining competitive rates. So, you know, we're um, setting out to tackle that now. And, you know, I look forward to the discussions we're having with our customers because I think it's important to get that feedback from them. And we're not only going to listen to them in terms of where we're going financially, but also uh, when we begin to focus on our strategic plan, that next phase of strategic planning that will take us from 23 out through 28, uh, we're going to want their input also on that. Finally, um, you know, I'm encouraged by our fish and wildlife uh, mitigation efforts. I, you know, I spoke to that balance earlier. Um, you know, the 1980 Power Act requires BPA to mitigate the impacts of the federal dams. And the Power Act also created the Northwest Power and Conservation Council, which has two members appointed by each of the Northwest governors. And BPA's mitigation efforts are consistent with the council's plan, uh, which, you know, they have to update annually. So I'm proud to say that the Northwest species, um, you know, we see species, you know, that are returning to habitat um, that didn't have access um, to that habitat for decades because, you know, um, they were blocked by human actions like, you know, road building or agriculture, um, you know, but, you know, work is being done today to, you know, open up even more access uh, to these species. 
And ratepayers have funded hundreds of actions to restore habitat, uh, protect land, uh, water, improve fish passage at federal dams, banish the uh, rise of predators that consume endangered fish, and operate state-of-the-art salmon and steelhead hatcheries. So, you know, we're doing a lot programmatically, but you know, we're going to continue this effort because that balance is just so critical to us. And, you know, while I ought to admit, ocean conditions and other natural uh, or, or human-related factors influence the status of salmon and steelhead. Um, several Columbia and Snake River salmon and steelhead species have maintained return rates, and in some cases, return rates have increased uh, relative to prior years. So uh, the things that we're doing, um, you know, are, are paying off, um, and, you know, we're going to remain committed to working with tribes and other partners on long-term solutions to to balance the region's power needs, as well as the needs of fish and wildlife. So a lot of things, um, you know, for us to try to accomplish, but, you know, those are the things that I have top of mind right now. Great. Um, so, John, yeah, I did have two quick follow-up questions for you on um, all of what you just covered. Um, with respect to the financial plan refresh to just kicked off, is there uh, any kind of timeline in terms of is it uh, again next steps or what what that's going to ultimately result in? Yeah, so you know it's kicked off. Um, we're going to uh, you know get input over the next few months uh, as to what we're planning to do. But you know, for me, the goal is uh, if we can come out of this with I think a good understanding uh, among our customers as to how we're going to tackle. Um, you know, deleveraging, um, you know, in the future and how that will impact uh, rates, uh, you know, that's going to be an important get out of that process. Uh, what I heard clearly was, you know, this, this past rate case, uh, we implemented the use of revenue financing. Um, and, you know, we, we, we did it quite rapidly towards the end of our rate case, and we introduced that concept. And our customers really told me that, look, you know, uh, we have an understanding of BPA having to manage its debt, but we also want to have an understanding of, you know, how you're going to go about doing it, the tools you're going to use, and, and kind of the, the sequence that we're going to be, um, you know, being impacted by the use of those tools. And so, you know, we're going to work hard in fostering an understanding of the approach we're going to take, um, the timing of it. So. Folks understand how it's going to impact uh, various years and rates, and and you know we're going to set out metrics to uh, look at how effective those tools are, and if we're actually achieving the goals that we're setting out to to achieve. So, um, you know, we've got uh, a good process in place. We're going to look for that input, and uh, we're going to utilize it as we move forward. Right. And, and so, and the other thing that, that jumped out at me in terms of what you what you mentioned is the, the BPA's really, really strong um, safety record. Um, any further elaboration you give to our listener in terms of, of you know what specifically BPA does to to maintain that level of safety? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a couple of things. Um, when I was uh, in the role of chief administrative officer, I had the safety organization. I was responsible for managing that group. And um, Brad B., our chief safety officer, has just done a tremendous job at helping us change the, the culture around safety here at BPA. Um, we had experience, uh, fatality, 
Um, and we have seen an uptick in a number of safety issues, injuries, things of that nature. And so we really had to address it from a cultural standpoint. So uh, we made safety a core value here at BPA. So, you know, in everything that we do, uh, our employees understand that it's a top priority for us, um, their safety. Uh, we've incorporated a number of measures. Uh, you know, we've improved our safety um, organization. We've added resources. Uh, we also have created a, uh, an executive safety committee, which for the first time brought executives throughout BPA um, to a monthly meeting to talk about safety. It was the absolute focus of that meeting. And so, you know, through those and many other efforts, we've been able to, I think, create a culture that has demonstrated our um, attention to our employee safety. Um, it has allowed folks to feel comfortable coming forward and reporting, um, you know, issues, near hits, things of that nature. We set up targets and initiatives that don't detour folks from wanting to, um, you know, bring those types of issues forward uh, in, you know, in the event that they might miss a target. Uh, we've done a number of things, I think, that have really created a great culture for us. But all of that said, in the improvements that we're seeing, um, it's time for us to take it to another level. And that's why I said we want to be the safest utility in North America. So we're now uh, setting our focus on uh, putting in place strategies that will allow us to, to reach that goal. Um, it's just not, you know, you don't get to certain levels and you turn off the focus. Um, you want to continue to focus on safety and make sure that your people are safe. And, and, and really express the desire for them to return home, no different than um, how they showed up to work each day. All right. Well, John, thanks again uh, so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And uh, you have an open invitation to, to return as a guest. I'm sure, you know, given everything that's going on at BPA, we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, if you want to come back, we, we'd love to have you. So thanks again for, for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, thank you and appreciated the opportunity and would love to return to the